Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Thank you for listening to Bluebells Forever podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode with Elizabeth Dale Phillips and her journey of writing her own book, Have Shinyan Will Travel, which is about her travels through Italy as a Bluebell girl. Elizabeth was my first patron and a supporter of Bluebells Forever podcast. What that means is she has chosen to contribute each month to help the work of Bluebells for the hosting site and all the work that goes into it. To do this, you can go to patreon.com bluebells forever pod and see the options what it is to be a patron. You can stop at any time and you can pick any amount you would like to donate. And part of that is you get extra episodes each month. There's two bonus circle back episodes with guests I've had on before that we go more into their story and to hear what they're up to now. There's also happy hour with Anna and Sherry videos, which are pretty ridiculous and fun, where we drink wine and answer questions about our days in show business. And also we have a series called Showgirl in Training, where Hannah Mooney, who is one of my dancers, is getting ready to go to Paris to hopefully audition for the shows there. So each month we do a little recap of what has been happening that month for her journey to prepare for this wonderful life that she will hopefully be entered into. So thank you for listening. Again, if you'd like to be a patron and support the work, it is patreon.com bluebells forever pod. Thank you for listening. Elizabeth Phillips. <laughs> this is so fun because I've been doing this circle back uh, for the patrons. I have to thank you. You're my first patron. So you gave me that boost of like energy and confidence to have a patron. So I'm like, oh yeah, now we have to have some content for that. Good, but good. The, the circle back, because it is like, there's not enough time in the first interview because we get into things like, oh, we didn't get to get to this or that, mm-hmm. but the circle back, but yours where it's part two, but I want this for the regular episodes to come out for everybody because I'm so excited for you because you have a book that's coming out. And so we're going to talk about that. And, and you can tell your story and if people want to go back, I, I will actually reference your first interview so people can hear more of your story of your actual career, but we're going to tell it in pieces through, through your books. So I asked, whoops, I asked Elizabeth to even read some of the stuff from her books. It's way more fun to hear it from the author um, directly how you wrote it. So welcome. Okay, thank you. Thank you for inviting me back to talk about my book. I'm so thrilled to have it. I'm just yeah. it's like having a new baby without, but you still get sleep, okay? It's oh my gosh. Exciting. Oh yeah, that's a really great analogy because people say they sleep like a baby and like, no, babies don't sleep. They're up all the time. Yeah, <laughs> you sleep with a new book, but you're just as thrilled, okay? Yeah, so you've you done the hard labor. So you're, this isn't going to come out until September 28th? September 28th. That's the day after my birthday. So that's what I'm going to get for my birthday. (laughs) That's so exciting. And I want to hear, because we talked about it in your first interview that you were in process of writing it. I think you had maybe. We talked about it when we were not recording because I, I I was so far back, you know, that I was, um, I was writing the draft and the draft is such a long thing to do. I didn't feel appropriate that I say I was writing a book because I was writing a draft. Wow. This is the way it came about. Yeah. That 
to remind people about a, a little bit about my first, uh, oops, we got a clock announcing something <laughs> here. Um, I was a bluebell that had very little ballet background. So, um, and uh, I was dancing, I'm 81 now. So I was dancing in uh, 1960, 1961, touring Italy with a, uh, an Italian show and there were 12 bluebells. Um, at the time, again, I did not mention this the first time uh, that um, this, can I change, there's something on my screen. Can I take it off? Sorry to, uh, yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> Love on my screen, everybody, excuse me. Okay. <laughs> so the summer, um, the show started late summer. I got the contract late summer. In that same summer, I met um, a young man who I had known, oh, when I was young, about 14. And we used to square dance together. He was 16 and we didn't have a date, but I knew his family. I'd gone on vacation with his sister the year before, but he had, we had not dated through the years, but he went to university in Birmingham, where I was from. Then he'd gone out to Canada to do graduate work. He'd come home after doing a master's and he was going back out there to do a doctorate. So we were obviously attracted to each other again. And I don't know, I mean, I can't remember thinking, I was 20 and not very smart. <laughs> smart. What can I say? I was 20, okay. Um, it all seemed very exciting. So maybe I was gonna be in the Bluebells, maybe I was gonna to go to Canada. This all seemed, you know, life looked wonderful. Um, so we were going to write to each other. And once I, and then at the end of that summer, I got the contract in Bluebells. And I just knew that this was an amazing, unique thing that was happening to me. I just knew it. So I wrote and wrote and wrote. I wrote so many letters and I told him immediately, hold on to these. No, I want these back the minute I get to Canada. If I'm going to come and see you afterwards, I want those letters back. And so I got them back. I mean, I did go to Canada and I got the letters back. The letters, um, sat there for until I was retired. So, you know, I was 20 and I retired at 62. And I married uh, that boyfriend. Um, I later married another Englishman. So they both knew about bluebells, but never, never asked to see my scrapbook. Um, it never sort of came up and I never looked at them, um, but I made sure I kept them. <laughs> I kept those letters. Yeah. Um, and then uh, 1950, um, I married an, an American man in 1950 who had never heard of the Bluebells, <laughs> but now he certainly has now, okay. <laughs> uh, he, um, so I'm trying to think of everything in order. So I retired when I was 62 and I know 2017, so actually that's how many, four years ago, so I was in my 70s then, I decided I had to get those letters out and start typing them up. What I, was, what I did in the summer of 2017, I'd be watching TV and I would just go through these piles of airmail and just pick out all the bits that were anecdotes from the show. Watching TV in the evening, just type that up and there were just masses of it. I mean, I know it was 104,000 words. I was able to see on the computer, that's how much it was. Um, and then what I planned on doing that time, I was going to um, write a narrative I mean, I guess I like writing. I mean, no one's ever told me I write well, but I, at that time, 
I was going to write some sort of narrative and I was going to have it bound because I knew I didn't want it to spiral. I wanted it nicely bound and I was going to have 39 copies printed because all my grand, my grandchildren, they were all going to have copies so that my great-great-great-grandchild would always, they would, family would always know what an amazing person they had way back in the 2000s, you know. Yeah. Um, I wanted this to be part of family history and come, I'd come up with this 39 copies. So I when I started doing the narrative, and it took me about six months to go through the, the letters. Then I started doing the narrative. We were at my husband's family up in Connecticut and his daughter-in-law is a book editor. And she's cooking one afternoon and I'm saying, oh, I've got this project. I know I've got all these letters and I'm, I'm doing this da 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 da. And, you know, and I started telling her about the things we did and what the captain said, you know, because I've got conversations in there. I mean, I was, I, you know, everything in the book that's in quotes, it was in my lettering quotes. You know, I didn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a lot of stuff. Um, and, um, and she looked at me after a while and she said, you know, there's a story there. You know, if you write it, I'll edit it. And she did. So it took me two years to write the draft. And so I finished that just about the time when you interviewed me last year. Um, I had had, she had looked at the first few chapters. Of course, future, first few chapters are the hardest because she's correcting the most. You know, you're learning to write in those first few chapters as well. Yeah. Um, when you're first being edited, but as the things go on, you become a better writer as you, you're used to the critique. Um, so that was finished this January. That she completely finished, and I complete, well, she probably finished her work last October. I finished all the fixes. In fact, we got two thirds of the way through the book, and she said, You're going to have to rewrite. I've got 21 chapters. And she got to chapter, I think, 14 and said, just rewrite the rest of the book. And I don't want to hear about the theater. I don't want to hear about a pension. I don't want to hear about any meals. Because I was saying, you know, we got to the new town. We went and looked at the pension. We went to the theater, see if we had any mail. I mean, I've written it just like what was in my letters. She said, just pick out sort of your three favorites from each of the chapters, pick out your three favorite anecdotes and just sort of, you know, put more detail and more color into those. And actually ended up the same length. I did what she said. And of course, it, this is good because it's getting nearer the end of the book and nobody wants to think, oh my God, they're written on the pension, oh, they're written on the No, it, it just moves it. Up. Well, you've read the book, okay. You know, it just moves the book along. So she was wonderful. You know, I can't say enough good things about a book editor. Okay. Um, and so that brought, I finished doing all that fixing uh, this January. So then when that was done, I was going to self-publish. I mean, I looked at all the self-publishing. Well, first, if you try to get it published the traditional way, that can be a very long way because you have to send it out to agents and they all say, no, they don't want it. They send it out to another lot of agents. And I'm already in my 80s. You know, I'd be dead and we wouldn't have even got it past an agent. <laughs> yeah. So I there's a lot of stuff on the internet. There's so many, must be so many authors in this country. Um, but I went with an, um, a hybrid publisher, which means that I didn't personally have to hire the person for the book cover. She is, I mean, I'm paying more money, um, but she is, it's a little company and she's making a lot of these, she, um, 
the publishing company is just doing a lot of the stuff that I wouldn't know how to do. It's very mm -hmm. good. She is right now. Uh, the next process was it went, it went and got all got sort of, she did the cover. Then it, then the inside has to all be designed. Like the outside has to be designed, you know, the spine and the front and the back. Then all the inside has to be designed with all the acknowledgement page and all that and the pictures, that part had to be designed. Then it goes off for printing and then it comes back to be reviewed. And it was reviewed by me, the publisher, and then the publisher hires a proofreader. Then we make changes, all of us, and somebody decides what changes to send it back to be printed again. Then you go through that whole thing again. Then, and that's funny because, well, that's funny, because then we go through the whole thing again. But of course, when we went through that first round, she decided on changes that I didn't like. You know, maybe one of them came up with a change like the word gotten had got into the book. Now, I oh. would never use the word God. You know, I write back. I would never use the word God. <laughs> Lord. When I see it next time, the word God has disappeared. Um, so we went through that whole thing again. And right now, that went back and it was reprinted again. And then, and that's where it is now, it's gone out for advanced review. And you, there are places, and again, I would not know exactly, but there are sort of book life is where it is and it goes and there are paid people that review and review it and you get this review and I suppose you try I think they take out pieces afterwards and actually put it in the final book then what do I do next I go to book sales I mean I go to book no book fests I go to book fests but then like my independent bookstore locally I'm going to do that you know I'm doing the process there my local, you know, my local newspaper has always has the Sunday paper has a sort of um, lifestyle thing. I'm going to get in touch with them. So that's where oh we. Oh my are. gosh! Are you do to the end of my <laughs> of my book? <laughs> would you um, do like book signings and all that? And, and well, that's what we we'll do at um, the festivals, the book fests. Yes, I got to figure oh out what gosh. to say and what to do. You know, I am a shy person, but I guess I can't be as shy as I would like to be. I've got to, <laughs> I, I've got to change a little bit, but I will. And I have to thank you. You sent me a copy, and and we were before I recorded. I said I felt so honored, and yeah. I had to even describe where I read it because sometimes I'll just read like on the go or like well, you know, I'm sitting on the couch. I have my chair specifically for reading and yeah. I would get a cup of tea and I would put my feet up and read it and make sure that I didn't have interruptions. So I wanted to just savor it. And I haven't done that. A lot of times I'm just reading books and sometimes not always paying attention because I'm thinking of other things that felt like this oasis for me to read that. And I live by myself. So I laugh and the dog would look up, you know, like <laughs> by yeah. myself in silence. I would just start laughing. And there was parts that were so sweet. There are parts that were like adventure and like, what it's like to travel, like things go wrong. And, and you captured it so well, because I think your adventure was different than mine. I stayed in Reno for the whole year as a bluebell. It didn't go any, you were doing traveling. You're also doing it in the sixties. You're also were more, more interaction with Miss Bluebell than most of us, you know, after that era really got to, to have with her. So I felt like that felt made me feel even more connected to Miss Bluebell, which I was sharing before, like even the name of this podcast, I didn't want to have it just showgirls in general I really wanted the bluebell legacy because I just admire everybody that's come through there but I do have huge admiration for her and I love that she's not a saint in your book like you get to see Miss Bluebell as a human 
but the standard that she set. And, and I want to talk a little bit about your hair <laughs> because that was one of the things I left. I'm like, I just want to see Elizabeth. Did she have cotton candy? Like what was going on with her hair? And it really wasn't bad, but it was just, it was the topic that came up and it was comical, but also I thought for you must be so frustrating. Like you are a bluebell. You're hired for your beauty and your statue as presence. And then your hair, I'm like, Oh, even then you're still like, you have to get this, this height of standard. For Miss Bluebell. Oh, yeah, so can you just share a little bit about your hair and also the title? Yeah. Because I thought a chignon, I think of a chignon pin. So like a lot of us are like, oh, we call things different things. So if you would just talk about your hair and take us all the way into what a chignon is. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, oh, what's the title of your book? It was sort of it was just tiny little waves and frizzy. Uh so usually I French. French pleats were sort of in at that time, so I could pull it back. But then, of course, there was always this frizz everywhere. And, uh, you know, I remember distinctly when we, you know, we were, when we've all heard of Peter, oh dear, no, I'm getting a blank, Peter, whatever his name is, the agent in London. Peter when, Baker? Peter Baker, when he saw us off on our way to Italy, he turned to me in the train and said, Elizabeth, at least they'll do something about your hair. <laughs> that was his parting words to me, not have a good time. <laughs> wow. So the captain, of course, every morning I would have to go into the captain and she would do, because we were in rehearsals. So my pleat, my frizzy pleat wouldn't do. So she would do something in the morning uh, she assured me once the show started, because I would have it pulled back every night and then have beer, you know, spray or beer they'd put on to keep all the busy bits. And then I'd have a chignon on the top, but I'll explain that. Um, and then she made me wear hard, um, hard um, rolling rollers every night, you know, and I was scared if she came into the room and found me without my rollers. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. I was always, if I, a few times I did not wear them. I thought, please let, please let her not come to my room, not come to my room, not come to our room. Okay. Find me. I don't have my rollers in. Um, so what, but once we had these, we were all sold switches, which was a length of hair. And I suppose it was about two foot of hair. And we were given them and it was taken out of our salary uh, over the next week or two. Oh. Um, and then mine actually was kind of thin. So I had to go buy another one. Of course, and I don't speak Italian very well. That was a thing right there going around wherever Milan or wherever, trying to buy a, a switch when you know about, you know, not much Italian. Um, and so, but she, in the show, we would wear the hairstyle, the chignon hairstyle, which was you pulled your hair up into a ponytail and you just put beer or something up and so there wasn't a hair anywhere. You know, you nothing, no hairs flying anywhere. And then you wound the hair around into this four, five inch thing on the top of your head, put a hair net over it and then pinned it down and it stayed put, it was great. And, and girls with quite short hair could do it. It was amazing. They would somehow pin up the little bits of hair at the back. But I would have to wear it as soon as these, you know, they were, they were uh, ordered as soon as we got to Milan in rehearsals. And as soon as they arrived, I had to start wearing one in rehearsal because I, my own hair was so awful. So, of course, I had to rehearse it. <gasps> Chignon. Was it because they wanted everybody to look good in rehearsal in case Absolutely. somebody saw you? 
Yeah. And there's photos taken yeah. at rehearsals too, right? So they want to, wow. So it's, yeah. How long do they stay in? Did you have to take it out every night and redo it every day? Or did that? We take it off during the show because we had headdresses on some shows. Oh, really? Yeah, we had headdresses. Yep. On the third number of the show, a quick change, off came, <laughs> off came the chignon. Yes, <laughs> we had a headdress. <laughs> So, so did you putting it on? <laughs> wow, yeah, that's that sounds like a lot of work. Did did it mess up your hair more? Because I feel like when I did the shows, the the combs that would go in to keep your wigs on would break off your hair. So if you've already have a thing with with hair frizzy, sometimes putting your hair up, or I don't know, like sometimes if there's more humidity somewhere no. that it gets harder. I think only bleaching the way they bleached it in those days. Because some of us, I went blonde about halfway through. The captain thought I looked. Well, she was right. I looked mousy. I mean, I did a mousy colored hair. So everybody, thought, everybody, she thought that I would look better with blonde hair. So I kept putting, I think, the end of November, like we started off in August, end of November, I went blonde at the end of some one night stands. So I could, I could put it off no longer. And I went and, um, and there was another. So, um, but of course it wasn't that blonde, you know, and it was, <laughs> I say in the book, because, you know, we were never, we had no consistency. We went to, we were traveling so much. You never went to the same hairdressers twice. You know, if you have blonde hair, you have to have this blue rinse afterwards to make it not go yellow. Yeah. So I mean, every week you had a different colored hair. So it never mattered. <laughs> <laughs> I had to have my switch bleach then. My one switch, I got ble- my outside, because I had two switches. So my outside switch had to be bleached as well. Um, to match my head, because my head was a different color every year. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you'd have to find in the new city a new hairdresser. Oh, we were <laughs> hairdressers all the time. Like at the, uh, when we were rehearsing, what the captain would like us to go and get a hair, I forgot what they call it. Well, anyway, we'd have those beehive, you go in and have a beehive done in the morning. A brush, I've forgotten the expression. Yeah, we were we were at the hairdressers a lot, and I would argue not to because secretly I was saving to go to Canada. So I would say, why we're sweating all day at the theater? Why are we why are we spending money, you know, time and money at the hairdressers? Oh, we've got to look our best, the captain said. Oh, so you guys were required to spend your own money on? Oh, uh, oh we spent all our money. Oh yes, we were the hairdressers. People were having that every. She would have liked us there every morning the hairdressers during rehearsals wow oh my gosh very important (laughs) yeah well and also that like this what was the standard when you were out in public you had to was it always dressed I mean I guess I didn't ever see a picture of bluebells wearing pants back then but dressed up because you were taking trains and people knew when you were coming into town so you had to always be totally done up right because you're in public so much we were we were sleep we we went from Naples up to Venice one night. No, Venice up to, no, Venice down to Naples. It was Venice to Naples, and we were allowed to wear slacks is what I put. So overnight, when we were on a train over, really for a very, very long time, we were allowed to wear slacks. But we still had to have the hair looking gold. We were still blue belts. So right. <laughs> we still had to have all the makeup and the hair. <laughs> Sometimes we could put a hair scarf. We all had scarves. So sometimes we did have hair scarves on. Because reading the book about your itinerary that you were like sleeping on trains and then you'd be in the next city and setting it for the next show, like how you could be just exhausted and you still have oh, to like. 
turn on the beauty because people will see you and people know when the bluebells are in town. So you can't like just hide. Yeah. Oh, I had this lovely, trying to get, changing the subject a little bit. The, uh, on the front of the book, there is the photo that was used in the programs. And I'm trying to get coffee, you know, the permission to use that. And uh, the photographer's name was on it. So I, you know, he's long dead, of course. And so I found um, somebody with the same name, a photographer, a young woman with the set, and she was based in London. I thought, oh, good, she speaks English. So I got in touch with her and she, she said, oh, that's my grandfather took that picture. Um, we'd love you to use it in your book. Um, I'll be in touch with my father and he can write something, say you can use it in your book. So her father lived in Italy still, so that's the son of the photographer. So um, he, he sends a little blurb, you know, giving permission, the family gives permission to use the photograph. And then he said, I was born in 1946, so I was 16 when the Bluebells came to Milan, and we were so excited about it. <laughs> I still remember them coming to Milan. Wow. <laughs> Such a big deal. <laughs> Well, and we talked about that too, like in other, and I talked to a lot of girls, like in England, Australia, people knew the bluebells, but America, not so much. So it's like, I feel like I've had to keep explaining we're not flower, bluebells, not a flower and we're not strippers, but it's like the, the way that it was esteemed. I kind of want to get to this in a second. I want to come back to this about the Italian men. Let's yeah. get to that. Cause that's in your book. And there were some very fun stories on that. Cause I, when I went to UNLV with Athena, we went to the arc that uh, suit, um, Kim, yeah, Sue Kim. Uh, we got to go in there and like pull out Bluebell's scrapbooks and Don oh, Arden's yeah. notes. It, w- it was amazing, but just, there's a couple articles like how to marry a Bluebell. And it was the standard that the man had to have to even consider dating a Bluebell. And there was pictures wow. of the girls kind of from your era, like coming off the plane or at the train station, all dressed up. And it kind of looked like there was a guide, like there wasn't somebody all you know, wearing a flower dress. It looked like it was very monochromatic and the, the, was just like there was a standard but for the men it's like you, you can't it's not like I'm gonna go date a stripper like no you have to be of high caliber to even consider dating a bluebell so I, it's very different than what people think here but I want to get to that but first I would love we talked about this before if you would read out okay. of your book about your when you first about the train starting at the train station part so at last, you know, after uh, knowing that I cannot dance very well, but Bluebell, I, I think Bluebell must have overextended herself that she was signing, <laughs> signing people like me at that time. Okay. Well, she must have seen something because she wasn't going to, that's what I think. Exactly, yeah. exactly. She saw something. That's right. Um, so uh, I race her for one week, well, I guess about, I had about three or four days to get my passport and that it was just wild. Um, but luckily I was living in London. I could get it. Okay. So the last weekend, my parents come up from Birmingham to say goodbye to their little girl. Nobody has been abroad in our family before. This is a big deal. Okay. I'm going abroad. So the following morning, Monday, so it's called the chapter is chapter two, meeting the bluebells. The following morning, Monday, I arrived under the clock at Victoria station, a traditional meeting place for train travelers, particularly those who might not recognize each other. Peter Baker had told me to be there at 8.30 sharp. I was. He'd also told me to look pretty. I did my best. Seven girls were gathered. Three current bluebells flawlessly turned out and immaculately quaffed. Three new girls and me. It was not difficult to figure out which was which. The current bluebells were Carol, Deanna and Alice, 
all 18 years old. Carol and Deanna were both experienced bluebells and have most recently been working at the Lido in Paris. Alice, who had begun a year ago as a non-dancer like me, had recently danced in Lucerne. The new girls were Jessie, Annie, and Sylvia. Sylvia was the oldest at 21 and radiated class and good taste. She'd lived in India, Singapore, and Germany, and currently lived in London, where she'd been modeling at the Matelay Design House and wore their clothes she'd acquired there. Jessie, 16, from London, was surrounded by family members, her mother, brother, and a tiny sister, who was wearing a dress with far too many layers of frilly underskirts all come to see her off. Her mother was an outgoing, good-natured lady who, however, hadn't fully mastered her makeup and hair bleaching techniques, was in charge. And I thought Jessie would possibly be happy that she was about to get some independence. <laughs> Annie, 18, was from Sheffield with a broad Yorkshire accent to prove it. She was not glamorous, but had the potential to be with help, very attractive. And then there was me. As already mentioned, Peter Baker had told me to look pretty. And with this in mind, the previous evening, I'd pluck my eyebrows and varnish my nails. Determined to spend no effort on this first day of my new life, I wore my newest dress. It displayed my figure nicely with a straight skirt and belted waist and the feature I loved, a wide-necked sailor-style white collar. Maybe not the most practical outfit for international travel, but Peter Baker had impressed on me that I had to look like a bluebell and I was certainly gonna do my best. Other than my hair, which I'd put in a French pleat in an attempt to hold the tiny waves in place, I thought I gave an overall impression of being bluebell material, if not the final product. <laughs> <laughs> I'll continue that. Okay. One of the experienced bluebells had been given all of our tickets and the money for our travel expenses to hold. We'd be taking the boat train to New Haven, ferry to Dieppe, and train to Paris, where we'd be met by Miss Bluebell. Just as we were leaving Victoria Station, Peter Baker arrived, and after making sure that we were settled in on the boat train, turned to me and said, at least they'll do something about your hair. <laughs> it took a whole day to travel from London to Paris, allowing time for conversation, time for savoring my first ever day of foreign travel, and time for the realization that the moment was near when I would be faced with dancing along professional dancers. It certainly wiped away some of the pleasure of the day, but all I could do was tell myself, surely Miss Bluebell wouldn't have hired me if I couldn't make it. And anyway, at that particular moment, on a ferry in the middle of the English Channel, it was useless worrying about it. I had another concern. I wanted to fit in and be liked. I was going to have a miserable nine months if I didn't have any friends. Before we left Victoria, I'd already picked up that all the old girls, including those we'd be meeting in Paris, had recently made contact with each other and had selected with whom they were going to room with in the hotels and pensions. Realizing I'd be assigned a roommate, probably not one of my choosing if I didn't select my own, I quickly befriended Annie, the girl from Yorkshire. She agreed to be my roommate, and I believe it was a decision neither of us regretted. We were never best friends, but she was dependable and good-humored. I liked her. On the train to Paris, my first view of a foreign country, I was surprised at the destruction France still showed, as the war had been over, 50, over for 15 years. At Paris Saint-Lazare, we were met by Patrick, Miss Bluebell's 20-year-old son, and Vera, the captain of our troop. It was evening by then, and Miss Bluebell had arranged for taxis to take us past the illuminated sites of the city, including the Champs-Élysées, Arc de Triomphe, and the Eiffel Tower, ending up at Gare de Lyon. where we were to be met by Miss Bluebell, her 15-year-old daughter, a mongrel dog, and the remaining of the Bluebells. 
and the remaining four bluebells. There was Christine and Kate, 22 and 23, both very experienced bluebells. Upon, upon being introduced, Christine asked me what my dancing experience was. Her response, oh, you're, oh, let me see. Upon being introduced, Christine asked me what my dancing experience was. Her response, oh, you're one of those. Next, there was Sophie from The Hague, age 16, who I'd already been told was the most beautiful bluebell. They haven't been exaggerating. She was beautiful. Thick, dark hair, blue-green eyes, and a radiant smile. Her heritage was Indian, French, and Portuguese, and at 16, already an, already an utterly charming young woman. My reaction, wow, fancy waking up every morning, looking in the mirror and seeing that face. <laughs> that wasn't enough. She spoke English well enough to be extremely funny. Overall, she was utterly captivating. Monica, 17 from Brussels, was the other new girl, tall even for a bluebell and quiet because she spoke no English. However, with the translation from Sophie, Flemish and Dutch being similar languages, I learned she had as little dance experience as me and I was relieved and very happy to see her. Is that? Oh my gosh, that's, yeah, that's wonderful. It's so fun okay. to hear you read your own words. There, there's, um, I'm still so surprised that there's 16 year olds because when you look at the pictures, the way they're dressed up, they look like women in their at least mid to late twenties. I mean, this is the way that women were made up, but there's a young, like 16, 17, 18 year old. Yeah. And then who was the oldest person in your group that was traveling with you? Like to make sure you guys get places safely. Cause it's just a oh, very different. Captain. She was 20. She had her 30th birthday. Okay. She was an old woman for most of the time. Oh my, there is things, I love the way you write because when somebody was wonderful and charming, you, you say it's so wonderful. Yeah. And it's not cutting, but you have your sense of humor. It's like what people would say under their breath. You add in there, like when there was drama going on, some of your remarks were the things that made me laugh out loud because they're oh, the yeah. things that you would say under your breath to your friend when it's like the drama is happening. Those are the things that busted me up is like, we, when because there was a lot of stuff about the the captain there was some drama with things like that that were going on and it, it, it's a great it's like a it's not a soap opera because that's like a, a that cheapens it but it was it, it was kind of, it was just like the drama of like who's getting along and who's dating who and the traveling fatigue and you know you've got different let's which brings me to the italian men so I know that like, wasn't there, wasn't, yeah, there was girlfriends that had boyfriends, like they're coming through the tour again, that they had dated a bluebell on the earlier tour. Like, can you just tell about that? Like when you show up in the port, there's already these, some of these men, these young men were already known because of previous yeah, so tours. Last year. I mean, this of course, is only just what I was told. The tour, the previous year's tour, this Italian, same Italian tour had a different 12 bluebells working. In it and three of them have been fired for uh, being too for socializing with fraternizing with company. And the company they were usually fraternizing with were men in this vocal quartet. Uh, the vocal quartet are her husband and wife, who we never saw except on stage, and then these two men, with and one, of course, was married, but he only saw his wife at Christmas. Um, and a man who, when we saw him, of course, he had his girlfriend from last year's show who he got fired. But of course, he was dating various girls in our show this year. Wow. They're just waiting for you guys to come into town. Oh, they were. You're absolutely <laughs> well, Somebody told me at the time, this, this isn't in the book because, you know, I've never verified it, that at that time, 
Italian girls, if you visited their home, you were engaged to them. So to have unattached girls was a one was was great freedom. I mean that you know that's so Italian. They were not used to atta- unattached. Oh, interesting. But I'm sure yeah. you know that. Uh, I, I, were you ever tempted? You still had your boyfriend back in Canada the whole tour. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you were just kind of kept away from that because also it's well, yeah, nice to be. I, I did sort of, yes, but I do sort of have a boyfriend near the end, halfway through, yeah. sort of. Yeah. I unwilling. Oh, which which is funny because after we go out to dinner when we're in San Remo and this man pays attention to me, and then the next day the girls say he was engaged to one of the Blue Bells last year. Cannes. <laughs> 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 the girls knew these men because we'd been in Cannes, which was close to the town where we were that night. I mean, there was just this, <laughs> everybody yeah. seemed to know everybody. And he was engaged, like, it was so funny. I mean, so I said to him, what, what happened? And he said, oh, she wasn't a good, she wasn't a nice girl. So like any bluebell, people really wanted to have a bluebell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting, because I, uh... So to be that age and you have your boyfriend back home, but like you said, he didn't really care. Your, the letters didn't really, that your, your story of a bluebell was not that interesting. He wasn't interested in that part of you, which that's a huge part of you, but to be ha- having all this adoration from these people that think the bluebells are the best thing ever, it would be hard not to be charmed by that. Yeah. And you're away from home and you're in this glamorous life and these men, you know, that are fawning over you all. I, I mean, I think I was an observer because yeah. everyone- company knew I was writing the whole time like everybody knew like I remember Christmas when you pulled up you know I, I don't know who gave him you know there was some one of the gifts came from somebody in the company you know one of those various gifts we exchange and of course I got note paper of somebody from the orchestra I mean everybody <laughs> knew what I wrote right. oh look at, and here it is this many years later is like that all served as hey. purpose were your letters like like dear so and so here's what we did today so it was kind of like you were sharing like all oh, your I, adventures so it was like reading like like your book is it's like here's what oh, we yes. did this all the details oh yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I put in very, very nice, loving things as well. But yes. Yeah. Um, that's, I think it's so interesting that you knew that those shouldn't be thrown away, that you told him to hold on to him. Because there's some knowing in the back of your mind that... It was an amazing thing I was doing. And it just, I, until, until, I suppose, just a, 2019, I suppose, is when I found there was a web, uh, a Facebook page. I just didn't know there were bluebells. You were the first bluebell I ever talked to in sort of 60, 70 years. I remember that conversation, like, oh, I haven't talked about this. And how I, you, we said it before we recorded, like, if the if your husband doesn't know or seem to care, like, or your new profession, yeah, you put it aside. Very caring. I have to say that. He has read every word. He's 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 a great supporter. <laughs> and that is, I think, the last first one. Okay. Yeah, the first, because it is interesting, because that is a part of you. And so oh, I've yeah. talked to people that have this, like, oh, I haven't shared this. And they get emotional because like, well, that that's that part of your life. But it's like, no, it's still me. That was a huge formative time to be a young woman with that adventure traveling the world. Like that forms so much of who you are. And yes, so I think it is like, you knew they were precious. And I love that you actually like made sure they were preserved. And even though it took 
till now, because now feels like the time, like we were saying, there's young people that are now interested in the history of the bluebells where people living it didn't know who she was or know why they were called this. So I think that it feels very sacred to preserve it and hear the stories like from you that you have it written with the actual quote, the quotes. And yeah, that it's not, we're just like, well, I heard somebody say something that somebody said this, like, no, this is, these are the people that lived and worked closely with Miss Bluebell. So I don't know if you want to share more of what that was like. Cause I know it's in the book and I love those parts too, to hear when Miss Bluebell would come into town of, you know, what that was like, but you, you knew her as your boss, but also like she was not just some far away figure. Cause you guys were an I'm intimate just, company. Yeah. I, I am just amazed as I was writing, it didn't occur to me. It's only as I just finished it. And I think particularly as I heard, I was listening to Miss Bluebell in, um, Desert Island Discs, that somebody in one of the one of the podcasts somewhere. Yeah. yeah. You know, where you really heard her talking and thinking that everything that she and anything we've written, everything in my book of how we thought of her absolutely supports exactly what she was thinking of how she was running her business. There's never a word, there was never, I mean, in my mind, in my memory, but also, you know, a, as I wrote, I mean, I there was never a word of, well, we're going to do it so-and-so because Miss Bluewell's coming. It was never, everybody wanted to please her. And we, if Miss Bluewell said we were good, we felt wonderful. And she, but you know, the minute, for instance, um, I think the chore- maybe I don't say the choreographer of the Moulin Rouge was in town. So he would go home and tell Bluebell that we were good. And she was on the phone immediately to tell our captain that, you know, the Moulin Rouge choreographer had said we were good. I mean, anything, um, she, she did everything to make us feel good. <laughs> yeah, she- that, well, that's so funny because I just read that. And that was, do you, I don't know if your pages line up, but it was we found that one it was in milan that you learned that about how things could go wrong in the show oh yes, because it, yeah it's funny because that leads into what you just said about the moulin rouge choreographer and miss bluebell calling oh, really? you. Oh, yeah because I, I go oh we just talked about that yeah because i thought that was like you talk about some of the disasters and things that go wrong and it's just it's comical but you're also like when you're tired from traveling like how it can just wear you out and yes. but also like a different theater each place so like a lot of us did the same theater the sets move the same way but to show up in a different theater different formation different configuration yeah. um different size like some of the ways you guys had to adapt and you just have to be you have to be soup that's maybe why having you guys so young you're probably a lot more moldable than like someone in their mid-20s like no <laughs> also <laughs> also i think younger dancers might be a little more ornery or okay. just saying i'm not doing that also we'll we'll go back to what you were something just flashed through my mind. This is 1960 English girls, where policemen don't wear guns, where the teachers have absolute authority over you at school. You know, we were not American teenagers. I right, made us more uh, compliant, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Which, I that out. <laughs> no, but I think that's really, really an important piece, you know, because imagine a bunch of 16, 18 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. You guys weren't going to go out like doing dumb things because not just so you don't want to get caught, but you actually like, no, we, re- we, this is who we respect. And at that time, I mean, the, I'm sure the English, you know, we've all mixed, we've all changed, but I, right. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, even, even though there was standards, there were things going on, like people not supposed to be in each other's rooms. There was some fun stories of that too, because yes, we know the standard, but you know, young, young hormones. <laughs> well, that's what I wonder about. What, yes, 
wishful that was Miss Bluebell with wishful thinking. Well, not wishful <laughs> thinking. It was right. She wanted to keep people apart backstage. She wanted yeah. to. That's what I think. She did the right thing. Absolutely. Well, I've been in shows where the couple is now fighting and they're dancing together on stage and some you're afraid they're going to hurt like an Adage team. Like, oh, it's a bad night. Somebody might get hurt. And you you all suffer on the stage if somebody's yes, that, it, a yeah. couple's fighting. It affects yeah. backstage. It affects on stage. And it's lovely when couples stay together. But, you know, like people break up and then someone's yeah. dating someone else in the show. And it's yeah. just a mess. Oh, yes. Yeah. No, she was right having that. We'll go. We'll go to the rule. <laughs> people, yeah. And people have to read your book to hear all this. We're just giving a little bit. So they're actually going to get the book and hear the rest of the story. But can you, can you share that part about in Milan? Yeah. It's fun. It's fun to hear you say it. And actually it was fun because I'd interviewed you. And yeah. so when I read your book, I read it hearing your voice with your <laughs> accent. It was way more fun that way. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. It was in Milan. So this is where we rehearsed in Milan. We opened in Milan and we were there for a month and a half, I think, um, before we started one night stands. It was in Milan that I learned that not only can things go wrong during the show, they go wrong in the space of one night. On one particular busy night, just prior to the show, Annie had a nosebleed that wouldn't stop. Having broken the rules and taken my tights to the hotel to wash them, I promptly left them there. <laughs> During the early part of the presentation number, while the stage was still in darkness, one of the rods to which the telephones were attached got stuck in the flies. The girl in the middle of a heavy period sobbed profusely when we were making the quick change for the Orientale and despite Vera's commands, didn't make it on stage. The mishaps were handled theater style with no nonsense. Annie had cotton wool pushed up her nostril. <laughs> Anna, the show's chief dresser, produced a spare pair of tights. The props man rushed past us girls up the staircase, unhooked the offending rod and jumped down from the highest level of the staircase. And the doctor was called to the theater. That poor last girl. Okay, mm. well, that, in. that was not the book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, in the dressing room one evening in mid-October, we were told that Miss Bluebell had phoned just before the show to say two things. One, that the choreographer and Moulin Rouge in Paris had seen our show the previous Saturday night and gone back to Paris with a report that we were wonderful. Second, that night there'd be an important journalist out front and then she, uh, we're going to be doing some uh, publicity work and uh, that's what she explains that he'll be there that night to see if we, he wants to use us. And of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. There, there was, it's so fun. It's such a fun read. And like, I think, I hope I get this right. Wasn't there some cities that it didn't do too well, that there wasn't very good audience sizes and other places it was well received. Yeah. Turin, the Torino. Yeah. Yeah. And then there would be, that was at the beginning. And then people said, Oh, it's going to close. And there would always be people that were, uh, Oh, well, when this show, I was on a show like this or someone was on a show like this and they just went on one night stands immediately and the show closed in a couple of months. But, um, and then someone else said, no, we're gonna to have to go to Rome, which was January because that's where they make all the money. You know, so they're always gonna try and get to Rome. Um, and it went, it, the whole thing. It picked know, up we, again. We had the whole tour. Wow, yeah, that would be hard. It's like given this part of your life for this and then to have it cut short yeah. that was but that also makes the excitement of reading it because in well now we have covid like we don't know that anything's certain and so that is the life of a performer like 
you, <laughs> this may or may not work. Yeah. Um, so you're right now in the process of the book is being reviewed. And then is this the final step? Um, or is, if, if, you, if there's any more changes, then I, um, I know when now and I've, I've seen, like I, I, I saw an error the other day and I, the publisher said, oh, you know, spelling error. And the publisher said, oh, yes, we'll have a chance to change that before the final. So there are still chances to change an odd word. Um, but I think that's the end. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. <sighs> It'd be a surprise. So the first book is all a surprise the whole way along. <laughs> And the amount of patience, like you said, two years to write it and then the yeah. whole waiting. And then like, is, is it hard not to take it personal when they want to take some things out? Or, I mean, you've gotten used to it, but the first part, like to it's even- the editor. When the ed- it was interesting because the editor didn't know anything about the theater. Yeah. Um, so I had to keep in mind that um, uh, she didn't understand I had to figure out, and but I did always think, okay, she thinks that's not important, so I'm obviously not doing it right. I mean, I was, I came off, I was describing coming up a one night, one night of a quick change, and I said we have four minutes, and the dressers were waiting for us. That's all I'd put. This was, dressers were waiting for us, and we just got on time. And she, she would write back and say, well, I don't see why you needed a dresser. I'm like, huh? Have you ever seen a quick change? <laughs> that's what I wanted to say. And then I have to sit back and say. No, obviously I'm not, I need to describe a quick change. Um, so that isn't answering your question, but that would be the sort of, when she wanted to take, oh, there was one bit she, she kept taking out, but I got it in another. I just figure out if it's a bit I care about, I put in some other way. Oh, that's so good. Cause I think if you take it, all the things that other, that non-dancers or non-bluebells don't get, but for those of us who are bluebells, there's yeah. things in your language of seeing the word passerella. There's things of seeing words like quick change that help us go back into our memory yeah. instead of having it too pedestrian. Like it's going to be who's your audience. So those who yeah. have, are new to this so world, you describe it wonderfully. But for those of us. Every, the important thing of the theater was in, like she twice at the end of one of the numbers, the, 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 our captain sang two notes after the soloist singer, she's the singer, the, the soloist would sing and our captain would do two sort of descant notes and I was her understudy. And we never had any rehearsals. So sometimes captain would say, okay, Elizabeth, you do the notes. Well, I was terrified, you know, we never had any. So I would go out and have these little quivery notes. They were just a disaster every time, you know, this huge theater full of people. And I'd go, mm. I mean, <laughs> so I, you know, I, it was definitely part of the, you know, my memory of the show, the, um, and I so wanted that in the story that I was the uh, understudy on some singing notes. And, and you'll see when you, at the end, when I'm describing when we, when the quartet record, do some recording that, um, the captain has me go sing with her. You know, we make the, the, the soloists in the show, the stars and the quartet and the orchestra decide to make a, a you know, recording and they want some girls to go. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So the captain asked me to go. So of course I'm really happy about that. So I got my singing bit in at the end. Um, <laughs> that was the other thing. She, no, she did not want to have this failure in, you know, I see why she didn't want it, but all the dancing things are in. All the dancing stuff. Well, I'm glad you told that note thing because that's actually a great. 
I'm glad that you told that story now about that. That's a great story about those two notes because <gasps> as a dancer, like to have to sing, but be like, well, you're on stage, you're a performer. Like, no, those are two very different things. Yeah. To, to sing and to dance. Like, that's a reverse a- as well. That's yeah. <laughs> oh, we never had, I mean, this was a problem. You know, we didn't have any understudies. You know, we didn't have swing. You know, there was no swing in ours. Yeah. Um, so how, what has this been like for you personally to revisit this and write it and have to rewrite it and spend so much time with your story? How has that been for, for your emotional and spiritual, physical? Lovely. Really? It's been lovely. And, you know, a lot of it, because my husband reads it, reads it. He's, he's the first person that reads it. And, you know, and he just, just, just like getting to know you as a 20-year-old. This is just such fun. So to also get that feedback of someone getting to know me again. As, also, oh. I haven't changed that much. I mean, you know, yeah. it's the comments I would make then. I would still make now. I mean, I still make the same jokes as I did then. I can change. You know, it's kind of disappointing. I want to say to 20-year-olds, guess what? When you're 80, you're not going to change that much. <laughs> Which is <laughs> a good what? thing. Same jokes you're saying now, you're still going to be saying when you're 80. <laughs> I really haven't changed that much. Yeah. But yeah, it just seems sweet to, to sit with that part of yourself and to like, that really I think you'd said this before we recorded too is like there's all these other bluebells that also found this life intriguing that we thought maybe it was just us that thought we lived this and so to find there's other people that also were like that go yeah that was an amazing opportunity instead of so I think to come back to that for a lot of us whatever age we are and to I don't know connect with our 20 something year old and go oh yes I mean, I sit down and read it and I have a hard time. I know it's my own book. I sit down and I have a hard time leaving it just every time, you know. I've, oh. But I, it's, uh, it's, it's, I hate to say it, but it's a great book, okay? It, is a, it no. is a great book. Anybody listening, it's a great book. Because when you ask me to read it, I'm like, what if it's bad and I have to not yeah. say anything? Because <laughs> like, when people are like, here's a song I write, wrote and you're like, Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> but it, it was like, oh, good. This is really, really good. And I, it, I did notice that when I would, I would look forward to sitting down and reading it and say like, okay, I want to make sure I read this. I can, you know, yeah. comment, but I was like, I treasure just sitting with that, yeah. with that story. And it was, it was, it's fun. There's a lot in it. Yeah. Make sure on a journey. It just sort of, um, like reminds us of what a great, you know, what a great experience this, this, whatever your blue well experience it's just something so just apart from the regular world. It's just, yeah. What an honor. So uh, for people to find this, so September 28th, all things hopefully moving forward, how they're supposed to, how will they, and also I don't know if we even said the title of the book. Let's say the title oh, and then oh, where yes, they can I'm find it. <laughs> it is called Have Chignon, We'll Travel. Uh, what is the rest of it? And it continues touring Italy with the Bluebell Girls, 1960-61. I've added a middle name. I'm Elizabeth Dale Phillips. There are so many authors with Elizabeth and Phillips and Dale that I thought I I better put the three names so that it works well when you put it in, when you Google it. So it's Elizabeth Dale Phillips. Um, It'll be available um, Amazon in any, all the countries that we have people. I mean, it'll be in English, but you can get in Italy and Australia and France and England and here. Uh, Also the, um, uh, Barnes and Nobles online um, as an ebook. Um, 
So that's where it is. And some others book something that I book, book something 20 of something. Obviously, I don't know the name of book, but it'll be when I, I am, you know, I talked about having a website, but I think I'm going to have a Facebook page. That's what I'm going to do. That yeah. would, yeah. When this, if this, this will come out end of August. So like a month before your book, but we can yeah. get people excited about it. But then I will be sure to share the link to how to buy it. Once you have that link, we'll share it on all the blue, because I'm on like, my bluebells forever page but also like the bluebell group and the hello hollywood group so yeah. i will share it everywhere so people can link it yeah. my yeah. hope is that it sells so well that they ask you to do the audio audible book with you yes. reading it yes. yeah. that would be so fun to have to listen to it read by you um i just wish you so much success with this and it's just like it's going to bring a lot of joy and bring it's interesting because every story i hear for the podcast it brings up more of my own memories I was like, oh, that's what it was like to be backstage. Or yeah, so I think it's like a treasure for all of us to get to just sit and read that and let our memories kind of take us back what that felt like backstage, what it felt like to, you know, to be hired and to be chosen for this. Oh, so, yeah. so best to you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. And thank uh -huh. you uh, for being one of my patrons. It helps so much. And so like, it's fun because you get all the bonus content. So I'm like, well, I can't just release yours for you to listen to on Patreon. We have to share this. All by my own self. <laughs> listen, listen to this thank wonderful guest. And yeah, want, so we'll... Okay. One, no, thank you say? very much. Do you have another moment? Are we on still? We're still on. Okay, thank you so much for your endorsement on the back of the book. You, uh, those, when, when those are reading, see the back that Sherry was kind enough, way back, way back, she read the manuscript and uh, wrote an endorsement. And um, I really wanted to have, well, I was looking for Bluebell credibility and you were Crudel, Bluebell credibility right now. So, you know, it, it was just such a fit. It was wonderful. Thank you so I much. I got a little giddy when you sent me that. I got all excited for you because your picture's on there now. And then you have the picture of you with your Shinyan. And yeah. then I saw like my name on there. I'm like, oh. I'm on a book. So thank you for that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm so excited for you. And I, yeah, so I just hope that people will read the book and share the book and um, yeah. And we will, we'll keep spreading all the different links, everything you have, send it to me and I'll keep sharing it with that yes. page too, yes. about the description yes. of it. So I don't know about this yet. It's all. A, oh, you're, yeah. You stepped into this whole world of like, it's so good when there's people that know the steps to take, because there's a lot of people that say they want to write their book, but they get stuck of like, I don't know how to edit or I don't know how to do this. So you really need those people that are going to help have it written, how it's going to be publishable, who publishes it, how do you get the word out there? So you've yeah. got like all these people helping you. And I want to be one of those to help like push that book up where people find it and, and get to enjoy it. So you're a fabulous writer, great storyteller. And so I'm super glad that you saved those letters. Like what an amazing gift that was that you forced, you got to know before it ever happened. These are yeah. worth saving. <laughs> Okay. Thank you, Sherry. All right. Thank you, Elizabeth. We'll talk soon. Yep. Bye-bye.